Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Podcast, the podcast where we bring you weekly business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with leading minds in real estate and entrepreneurship to help you take your business to the next level. Hey, Next Level Podcast listeners, this is your host, Kevin Kaufman, and I have got another special treat for you. We got such great feedback from our episode last week of Ben Kinney from our chat at NLA Live 2019. We decided to release one more chat, which is with a previous guest, Leo Pareja. Leo is the owner, co-founder, co-owner, if you will, of Remine and a former number one agent in all of Keller Williams at one point. This dude does it all. He is one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. And I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation that he and Fred had together on stage live at NLA 2019. And again, if you haven't yet, go check out the new website. That's nextlevelagents.com nextlevelagents.com. Check out what we're all about and get information on NLA Live 2020 in Phoenix, Arizona next April. All right, folks, hope you enjoy this and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. Leo Pereja. What's up? How's it going, everybody? Awesome. I'm excited for you guys to meet my friend Leo. Anybody heard Leo speak before just out of curiosity? Only a couple people. Wow, you guys are in for a treat. You ready to shake him up I'm, a little I'm bit excited, today? yeah. So Leo was in our office in uh, Tempe earlier this week, and my jaw was like dropping while he was talking, just hearing some of the stuff that this guy is involved in in the real estate industry. So I'm excited to hear you talk. So maybe give us a little background on yourself. So, you started kind of early, right? Yeah, real quick. Yeah. Is, are most people from Vegas? Raise your hand if you're from outside of Vegas. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Is Remind in your market? Raise your hand. No. Oh, good question. Remind. Is Remind in your market? Raise your hands. I just want to see. Okay. So most of you haven't heard of it. Okay. okay. We probably have a fair number of people that Remind is in your market. Yeah. And you don't know yet about yeah, this technology I mean, the, the, tool that's We're available in 70% of every market. So uh, most of you might have it. If awesome. You're, if you're not from Vegas, Vegas is not a market. Well, let's start there. What is Remind? We can back up into your yeah. story and you can tell us how you got into real estate. So, but what is Remind? Yeah, Remind is a property-centric application designed basically. Is Ben in the audience or he already went to the airport? So Ben Kenny is a good friend of mine. Um, and technology should only do exactly what Ben said, which is to make your life easier. Right? Part of the problem in real estate is there's so many pieces of technology that are thrown at us. And people ask me, what CRM should I use? Use the one you're actually going to use. Right? There's Salesforce, which is not for everybody. There's Contactually, that's not for everybody. There's Top Producer. It's, it's whatever you're going to actually use. So technology is going to eat the world. Almost every industry leading company has become a software company. And the reason is because of data and process and workflow. And the cost of technology is coming down substantially. Something that used to cost $2,000 per month five years ago is now included or 100 bucks. And the agents or practitioners across industries that take advantage of that and create a better consumer experience win. I fundamentally believe that the consumer wins because they vote with their dollars. So any industry, especially real estate is one of them, where the consumer does not get what they want, they end up going to where they end up getting what they want. Mm. Hence the birth of Zillow, right? We hoarded the data, the MLS data, and it was like, come here, my pretty, and like flip it over. <laughs> and then they put it on the internet and give it all away. Yeah. And the consumers like that. So they controlled the buyer journey. 
and we can get into it. iBuyers are now going to do that with seller eyeballs. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most fascinating thing happening in 2019. But back it up a little bit. My story, I got into real estate at 19 years old, which is atypical. Uh, I sold real estate for 15 years, and those 15 years I closed close to 4,000 transactions. Uh, I had a mega team. I had expansion before there was a name for it, kind of like Ben. In the last eight years I was in production, I sold an average of four to 600 transactions per year with less than 10 people, depending on the market cycle, who we represented. Guy might know what he's talking about a little bit, right? Okay, cool. I, I'm just soaking this up. Okay, so got into real estate at 19. By 28, I believe it was, you were the number one real estate agent and team in, in the world. In all of KW, in the world. Yeah. Um, so that was 2010, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. And then what was the, so what was the pivot from you from being an agent, mm -hmm. representing buyers and sellers, running the team, into technology? Where did that come in? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing that somewhere in there, yeah, there no, it, there's it a background and an interest right? of that. Yeah. Everything in life is iterative and sequential, right? I have two little kids and watching them crawl. To, to walk like little drunk people, to now outrunning me like in the mall at four. I don't, I don't know how it happened so quickly, but that's how my career has gone as well. And it started where, you know, during the financial crisis, we were representing Fannie Mae. And I was lucky enough to win that contract. And it was a bunch of old people that had been around from the last downturn who had the contracts. And they were doing everything slow and fast backwards. Mm -hmm. So we built software that logged in programmatically in Fannie Mae's database. And we were reading and writing to their system and I could do with two people what people had to do with 20 people. And I scaled that into 28 markets and four time zones. But I built systems that made me go faster, stronger, better. Wow. So when did the, when did the idea of Remind first kind of hit your, hit your radar? And then tell us a little bit about what Remind does, because we have so, some yeah. people that know it and some people that don't. So everything in an agent's life is very difficult. And same for the consumer transaction. So friction is what drives innovation, right? So real estate is the most frictionful transaction in the American life right now, in my opinion, right? The, the analogy to Uber is kind of played out, but it, it's a great one. Mm -hmm. Because the taxi driver was the worst transaction on earth, right? They showed up whenever the hell they felt like it. You guys remember going to the airport before Uber? That shit was terrifying, right? It's like, if you had a 6 a.m. flight, you might as well spend the night at the hotel. Right. Because it's like, maybe he'll show up, maybe he won't. It's like, credit card machine's broken, I only take cash. And I'm an asshole, and I will roll my windows down, or turn on the air conditioning, and be rude. Right? It was a horrible transaction. Or they pick you up and kidnap you, and take you on an extra loop to charge you four more dollars. There was no accountability. You couldn't tell the next person that this guy's an asshole. It was a horrible transaction until two guys walked out of a movie theater in Paris, and it was cold and rainy, and couldn't get a cab, and said, what if I push this button? Right in 2000, I think 14, when Uber was incorporated, the taxi medallion, which are the stickers that go mm -hmm. in the cabs, had its highest trade in New York, $1.3 million for the sticker, not the cab, just the sticker, right? Fast forward three years, the lowest trade was like $241,000, right? Because something came out that was a superior consumer experience quickly. Mm -hmm. And by the way, tax medallions were in place for 76 years prior to that. They were actually born during the Great Depression because we had cars and underemployment and people wanted to make some extra money. Sound familiar? <laughs> right? So anything that sucks at scale 
it, it's like water. Either it goes around it or it goes through it. And so I think technology is going to do that to real estate. And I, I'll preface it with, I believe in the realtor. I've raised $48 million and I'm betting that the realtor stays in the center of the transaction. But it's the ones that use technology who will put the ones that don't use technology out of business, hands down. Mm. And where I think we've hit a tipping point in our industry, because I've been in the industry for 20 years, is the amount of smart money betting on the real estate transaction changing. So for context, in 2010, the total capital invested in the residential real estate vertical, which is now called PropTech, was $30 million total. Nine years ago. As an industry. Okay. Last year, do you guys know what it was? $5.4 billion in the U.S., $12 billion globally. And this year is going to eclipse last year. It's, it's actually going so fast, they're actually taking out the, the vision fund rounds into like Compass and Open Door mm -hmm. into a separate bucket for calculations. Recategorizing. Yeah. Wow. So the smartest people in the world have collectively decided that this process sucks and they want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And so for the folks who are like, hey, people have been talking about the disruption for 10 years, that's the biggest quotient that's different now where it's not going to just be, oh, yeah, just put your head in the ground, keep doing the same thing, and nothing's going to change. Wow. Okay, so Remind's a part of one of these companies that's mm -hmm. out there raising funds, but the side of the game you're playing on is, as you just said a few minutes ago, betting on the realtor. Yeah. You're betting on the real estate agent. So, so there's a couple of things that make real estate, residential real estate unique. It's highly infrequent, it's expensive, and it's highly emotional. Right? I worked in the DC metro market and I sold homes to some very smart executives and government officials, and you know, we all devolve into emotional human beings when we buy a house. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how many dollars you control in your day job, at the end of the day, it's where you're gonna raise your little people, how close is it to their school, and is your spouse gonna be happy? And that's pretty much the three questions <laughs> during a buyer presentation that we focused on. Because, because of that, I think a professional who adds value to the transaction survives and actually thrives. But anyone who is purely transactional from a commodity standpoint will be rendered useless. So we were kind of having this conversation this week right in our office where it, it seems like um, the high touch, high relationship, deep relationship game continues to live mm -hmm. as well as the transactional game continues to live. I mean, the transactional game is going on in our backyard in Phoenix with the iBuyer model. It's been alive for six, seven years now. So it seems to me, and correct me if you think otherwise, but it seems to me like those of us that are kind of stuck in the middle, not having yet decided if we want to be more on the transactional end or if we want to be on the more high touch end, might find ourselves looking up at some point in time going, who moved my cheese? Where, where did this all go? And I don't think you actually have to pick. You could probably have a part of your business to this and a part of your business to that. So, so clarity around where those yeah, hey, are but, but again, you know, I, I'm quite vocal about my opinions. And for the folks who have heard me speak, I'm pretty consistent that I, I think part of the problem is there's too many agents that don't actually have value. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a lot. Out of 1.3 million agents, NAR stat, how many of them sold zero homes last year? 600,000. So those folks, what I call, have a hope certificate. They're going to hope that someone bumps into them and lets them represent them, which is actually a hazard to the consumer because that agent isn't experienced enough to maneuver the current market's transaction. Right? If the last transaction they did eight months ago, what the hell do they know about days on market and current inventory and pricing and price reductions and you know, submitting an offer in a multiple offer situation? They don't have the current market experience. And as a broker, those are the ones who got me in trouble at the board level. Right? So we have too many 
-hmm. You know, one of the things I've always said is you want to fix real estate, make it two grand a month to hold a real estate license. You know, you wouldn't have a hope certificate. Right. But there's, like, Canada has a total of 100,000 agents, and it costs about 400 bucks to maintain your license. And I gave a presentation in Nova Scotia, and the MLS director told me 90% of the people in the room have an active listing right now. Wow. Right, so the barrier of entry is, is the, it's a gift because real estate, residential real estate is an incredible way to create wealth in this country. Yeah. And compared to any other industry, it's got the lowest barrier of entry. And the people who come in and work hard and follow systems and do what the people on stage have been saying, there is no limit to your income. All right, I'm going to let you keep giving your predictions because I want you guys to hear some of Leo's predictions of what he thinks is going to go on the market. But I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back in real quick. Okay, so define Remind for me real quick, all right? I have no idea what it is. I'm, I'm out here and I'm going, yep. what is Remind? What, what can it do for me? So, so define that for so us a little bit. So it's a property intelligence platform delivered via your MLS. So it is, okay. you log in with your MLS credentials yep. and it's property and people mashed together to create opportunity. So on a map-based interface that's Google-like, it's actually a Google-based layer, you can search people, property, zip, whatever you want. It shows it to you, gives you intelligence, and so much more. It's, it's got a mobile app. It shows MLS listings, public record, mortgage data. We can tell you what we think the mortgage balance is by calculating uh, original balance with interest rates and product type. We have predictive algorithms. Um, there's 3,200 counties in this country. A 1,000 of them don't collect bedroom counts. So if for anybody from Maryland... The entire state of Maryland doesn't collect bedroom counts. So if the house has never been listed before and you go on an appointment, you don't know if it's a three-bedroom or four-bedroom. Mm. Certain neighborhoods, that's a pretty big swing in price. Mm -hmm. So we actually create algorithms and predict all that kind of stuff. But our, our game is to make you faster, stronger, better. And there's a mobile app so you can pull up any of that information wherever you're at. So it's unique with a lot of these uh, tech companies out there, right? Is they're kind of trying to replace something that we have or they're trying to get directly to the consumer or whatever it may be. But you're providing a platform to agents and delivering it through associations, correct? Correct. But I am competing with CoreLogix, yes. Matrix, yes. and Realist, Black Knights, uh, Paragon, world. and Flex, and all those other tired okay. products. So you're competing against the data companies, yet aligning with the MLS associations. Yeah, I'm I am an MLS technology vendor just like they are. Yep. Okay. Got it. So uh, tell us again, uh, how many? What, what's the percentage of people that have access to Remind out there? Uh, 925,000 realtors out of 1.3 million. Okay. How are people using it? I'm just real curious. No, kind that, of, that's oh, actually one of my favorite questions yeah. that it's hard to answer because the reality, there's a distinction between a product and a platform. And so SmartZip is a product. It's designed for geographic farming. And you can do one thing. You can pay a bunch of money and mail some stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Um, <laughs> A platform allows you to do what you do. Because what I've come across with real estate products is that the people who designed them never actually sold a house. Mm -hmm. Right? And the reality is you serve families. And you take really good care of them. And you become part of their sphere of influence. And then they refer you to their child who's, you know, just got married and they can, can't buy in the same county. And so the zip code you bought over here doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right? It could be in a different part of the country, and, it, and, and it's an organic process where we're just saying, here's all of it, here's the mouse, you do you. And the best Got thing it. I say to people is, don't look at Remind as how you're going to use it. It's what do you do for business, and we're going to augment what you already do. So if you're a geographic farmer and you're sending out three pieces of mail, or 3,000 3, pieces of mail mm -hmm. to the entire X, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever, however you slice City, the county, data. Whatever, yep. We're saying, why don't you add some intelligence to it? 
you know that, is this a move-up neighborhood? Right? Because the average stat is Americans move every nine years, right? Seven. It was seven. It's slowly moved up to nine. People are holding on to their homes longer. That's part of the inventory crisis we have. That's actually an average number. Moves happen typically in that townhouse condo in four years because you cohabitate, make little humans run out of space. And then you pool your resources together and buy that house you could barely afford where your kids go to the really good high school and then you don't sell that for 15 years. Right? And who knows that better than anybody? You guys do. So we're saying, here's the mouse and why don't you add the intelligence to your marketing plan for that transaction, that consumer, that marketing campaign. Awesome. So you can start in a neighborhood and say, show me everyone who's been on title more than 10 years and 632 homes drops to 340 homes. And then you say, show me the ones that are owner-occupied because I'm going to door knock versus send mailers. Mm -hmm. And then that number drops to 64. And then you can say, show me the ones with 100,000 or more in equity. And then that drops to 38. And then door knocking 38 homes is a lot less overwhelming than 600 and something. So something that might have taken me hours or 12 steps or 15 steps to do. That's, and that's now, what I through used your to data, do. Through your technology, I would spend five hours with five EAs and a lot of Excel. Yeah. I can do in three clicks in you know, 10 seconds. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. So I think um, maybe to, to transition the conversation a little bit, I know you have some strong opinions on the, the industry itself. And I, I want to get into some of that a little yeah. bit because I think... You know, this room specifically, right, Next Level Agents, Facebook group, the people that have invested to come to this event, I mean, these are people that are trying to take their business to a different level than I hope I run into somebody in the next eight months who might want to buy a house, so I'm not one of those statistics you mentioned earlier, right? So these guys are going, where are we going, Leo? What, what, what do we need to be aware of? What's on the horizon? What are you seeing from, as a real estate agent who's also highly involved in the tech space? What are you seeing that maybe we're not while well, we have our heads down in the trenches? What should we be looking at? What's coming next? So, so the first thing that I've been ranting about for a while is, is the digital footprint. Because okay. anytime I'm in an event, or especially during Q&A, people are like, well, millennials are doing this, and boomers are doing that, and the silent generation does this. Yeah. It's all bullshit. We're all human beings. And if, if you don't think your entire life lives on here, you're lying, because I can see some of you on your phones right now. Right? It, it, it's not a millennial does this versus a, a boomer does that. Mm -hmm. We all pull out this and look stuff up, and that's how we transact everything. So when you're going to spend money on anything, behaviorally, say, how would you react? It's like I land in a new city, and I pull out my phone and Yelp, the restaurant with the most reviews. Yep. Or I use the hotel app to decide where I'm going to stay. So consumer behavior is trending in that, and you are the only proxy you need. You don't need to read NAR reports. You don't need to ask a bunch of people. How do you make important decisions? And important meaning like, where would you take your car to get repaired? If you were to switch barber or hairdresser, how would you make that decision? Right, you're probably going to get a referral from a friend, but then you're going to verify online. Right? Like my best friend loves referring movies, but his taste is kind of shitty. So I still go on <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes and double check okay. when he sends me a referral. And so one of the stats that's been drilled in our head by every coach is that sellers select um, the first realtor they talk to 70% of the time. That's actually f drastically shifting with younger generations, and they're interviewing two and a half realtors before they select one. Mm. And I ventured a bit, the, the survey at NAR didn't actually say how was the interview performed. Yeah. I think there's interviews that you're losing that you don't know about, right? Because you're being Googled, and you have no results. 
or very few results, right? At least a bad result means you sold a home, right? So it's that digital footprint where, so perfect example, when I was 23 years old, I would sell $20 million a year and I used to wear suits and look like a grown-up. Because if someone who was 60 walked in before me, who had just passed their test and drove the Mercedes and talked the talk, I would lose the appointment, even though I was the number one agent in my zip code. My last couple years in real estate, I actually dressed like this. Because it was authentic and comfortable and I, I cursed and I was just very much myself. But more importantly, I'd already been validated. They were not interviewing me to decide if I was competent. It was more of an interview if they liked me and we connected. Mm -hmm. Google had validated who I was to them prior. And that's how you guys all make decisions. And, this, and I, I haven't found an industry that's as reluctant as we are to, to think that we're different. We're not different. So what, one of the, my rants is, you know, as the next three to five years progress, if your digital footprint doesn't match how you make buying decisions, just to keep it super simple, yep. you're out of business, period. So when you say that, what you mean is, I might perform one way as a consumer, but as a real estate agent, I'm kind of arguing against yeah. my own behavioral habits that I use Correct. in other areas of life. Correct. Interesting. So, what, uh, so let's, let's talk about, what's a quick fix to that? Like, I'm sitting out here right now. Maybe I'm a new agent. Maybe I've been ignoring the internet. So, so and the yeah, footprint. yeah. No, so one What's of the things is, is like, that? I've had people say, I, I just don't like, I don't want to do social media. It's like, well, then get out of real estate. It's where the eyeballs are, right? Social media is not good or bad. Like, it, it's actually, I, I, it's almost analogous to money. Money's the root of all evil? No. Money's a magnifying glass. If you're an asshole, you become a giant asshole. If you're a good human I'm telling being, telling Kevin that about Facebook for a while, but, you become yeah. a really good human being. I, I heard a joke the other day. Someone's like, oh, "They invented this app that tells you if you're a racist. It's called Facebook, right?" <laughs> it's like wow. you just kind of project all of what's in here that prior to yeah. didn't leave your echo chamber, right? So, a technology is the same way. Yeah. So, it's 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 the new billboard. It's the new postcard. It's the I, I actually started selling real estate when I'd run ads in the newspaper. Right? And we'd count words because it was like $280 for whatever yeah. amount of it's words. It's harder than Twitter math. Yeah. But it's, it's not good or bad. It's just where the attention is. Like consumers used to buy the Sunday Post to look for real estate ads. That shit doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's in the internet. So if it's not in the internet or Facebook, then, you know, I was hanging out with uh, you guys on Monday, but I had dinner with Joshua Smith, who's like a mad scientist when it comes to this stuff. Yep. He was here last year. And, you know, Joshua Smith knows his numbers better than most people I've ever met. And, he, and like, I was a broker owner of 200 agents, and I love it when I sit down with an agent. It's like, how much money do you want to make next year? $150,000. Great. How many homes did you sell last year? I don't know. Right? But it's, you can deconstruct anything you want with math. You want to make $150,000 a year, tell me what your average price point was. Right? Let's see where those leads are coming from, and I will tell you how many contacts you need to make per day. It's math. And if you don't want to make phone calls, then I'll tell you how many Facebook ads you need to run and what your conversion funnel needs to be. Mm -hmm. So Josh can literally break it down from, hey, we're, our sweet spot's 250 to 400 buyers. Those are typically 28 years old with their second kid, and Facebook will let you demographically target that. Yeah. And these photos react better than these photos, and these are the pain points when you're moving up from the apartment to the townhouse. Right? So that's where data is going to change the world. The reason ads 
it's kind of the gift and the curse, right? That's part of the problem with social media. We kind of live in our echo chamber. But how many of you get a, a how many of you are on Instagram? All right, find me on Instagram and message me because that's actually the, w- the way I'm most responsive, at Leo Pareja. But how many of you click on Instagram at? Most of you. Because Instagram is super simple. Mm-hmm. It's photo-based, but it knows a lot about you. Right? When you're watching t- television, and I saw an ad for hair loss when I was 18, that didn't really help me. But now when I'm on Instagram and it's like, hey, Pedialyte, it's not only for your toddler, but it's for dad after the beers on Sunday. I'm like, click. Right? <laughs> It's like, would you like to go to Disney with your family? Yeah. I live in Virginia, but I actually go to Orlando for two weeks every December and invite my whole big Latino family. Right? It, it, would you like to go to ballet classes for little girls? If I didn't have a daughter, that'd be creepy as shit. <laughs> but I have a little girl who's my universe. Yeah. Right? So these ads are hyper-focused for you, and the click-through rate is phenomenal versus running it an ad in the paper. So we're living in a golden age of eyeballs. So the last time this happened, it was in 1950. It's when television ate radio's lunch. In a seven-year span, almost 30% per year, the revenue of radio was given to television. So in the markets that um, have remind, did anyone get cold called by our team? Raise your hand. More hands should go because we're really good at it. They don't answer their phones. It's okay. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But I can tell you that to make your phone ring, and Jeff, raise your hand. Jeff's with our company. You need to talk to him before you leave about what we do. Um, if Jeff got you on the phone and did a demo for you, that cost me $35. And that includes Jeff's salary, our space, our overhead, our computers, his dual monitors, his go-to-meeting account. It was math. And it took two or three years of us harassing the shit out of you and me speaking all over the country, for most of you in markets where we're live, it's like, oh yeah, we, I know what Remind is, I've heard of it. We can now get you to click on an ad for 79 cents. Wow. And that's partly awareness, but also, what's happened in the last three years, who's been the largest growing demographic on Facebook? Over 70. Over 50. We actually got so good with Facebook ads, they reached out to make sure we were gender targeting because 56-year-old women were responding extremely well to our ads. What's the average age and gender of a real estate agent? 56-year-old female. Right? It's, it becomes super binary when you start looking at the data. And that's how almost anything happens. Yep. It's like, if you show me an ad for little kid stuff, it has to do with little girls, I'll click on it because I adore my daughter and that's where my attention goes. Right? If you show certain ads to certain people, you know, if you a Chubby's ad for bathing suits, you get Jeff. Right? I know exactly, like, when I see the ad, I'm like, yeah, that's for Jeff. But that's how the world is trending and that's, that's going to come across every industry. Yeah. And that's just, how the neck hammock got Kevin, let's be honest, right? Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you that know Kevin and the neck hammock, we'll have to tell that story. For the rest of you that don't, but... You were, you were talking, I heard, I heard you kind of having this, uh, this speech about Instagram ads. You have a business partner or somebody, a business associate. You were kind of comparing the ads that this individual gets versus yeah, you. Yeah, no. Right? And, so and it's so true. I had a presentation where I actually put our, Facebook, our Instagram feeds next to each other. Yeah, you showed them side by side. We were, were two years apart. Mm-hmm. We're business partners across a bunch of businesses. Our, our network's actually almost identical. Both 100% Latino. Like demographically, 
identical. He also was my next door neighbor and had the exact same house because we bought one lot subdivided and built identical homes. It's kind of creepy, I know. Um, but his ads were like trips to Vegas, racing experiences, shady dating apps. <laughs> and mine was little girl ballet classes, yeah. Disney. Right? If, imagine they were swapped. Like, literally, I'd have marital problems, and he'd go to jail. So it's so hyper-targeted. And, but we live in, an, like, this is so exciting as a marketer and as a salesperson. Yep. Where I, I went to college in 2000, and I actually have a degree in graphic design, which is ironic. I ended up in software. But I did a business plan to start a software company, a uh, web design company. I would need $400,000 in hardware. Right, I needed these servers and I needed these things that now it's like AWS for 10 bucks. So the barrier of entry into real estate is low, but the barrier of entry to entrepreneurship and actually creating an amazing business is impressively low for your, there's, when I've raised money, you know, something everyone's obsessed with is your cost of acquisition. What does that impression cost you? What is that eyeball, that at bat? And you know, it, it's, it's fascinating with real estate agents because I've talked to some very productive real estate agents, like, okay, I'm at 400,000 in GCI, I want to get to 600,000. I'm like, okay, well, what are you spending money on? It's like, well, this, this, and this. I'm like, well, what gives you the highest return? Because very quickly, if we just break down your business, it's like, okay, cut this shit out, spend more on this, and there you go. Or just cut this shit out and keep the difference because it wasn't making you any money. <laughs> right, is what Ben Kenny was talking about. Yeah. How, much of, how much of what we do in real estate is purely for ego? Like, we're a special place in the world for ego. I mean, I, I always refuse to put my picture on my business card because I was like, well, my doctor or my attorney doesn't, so why am I going to? Interesting. I, I always look for comparisons in life. Yeah. So let's tra you know, transition. Can we go into iBuyers for a little bit? I want to get you talking on that. How many of you guys, let's get a little participation. How many of you guys have uh, some form of iBuyer model in your market? You've got Zillow, Open Door, OfferPad. Okay, cool. Uh, who doesn't know what an iBuyer is? And that's okay. Anybody that we need to kind of preface with that is? Okay. So talk about the origination yeah. of the iBuyer model, because I know you've researched this deep. So yeah, yeah. I think no, we can so, all learn so, something by going back and So and one of the fun that. things about being on those mini stages that are recorded is me. I get to know if I was right or wrong when I come up with wild-ass guesses. Yes. And I always let you know that this is what I think I know with the information I have as of today. And I, I did a keynote two years ago in front of like 1,000 people that's been watched quite a bit. And I was right about most things, but I completely missed Mark on iBuyers. I said, it's a small portion of the market, yep. it's irrelevant. Because I thought the iBuyer was, we buy ugly houses with just fancy packaging. Deep discount, Deep fancy discount. packaging, yep. I was completely wrong. It is, the, the, the goal, it's, I don't think it's there yet, but we, this will be the most interesting bet to watch in the next three to five years. They are trying to take the friction out of the current process. So let's deconstruct the home buying process. On average, do you know how long it takes to close the average loan in this country according to Fannie Mae's data? 70 days. You guys are all forgetting about refinances. The average Fannie Mae purchase loan, this is not money, this is their data, is 70 days. How many other things in this world take 70 days? Not, not that much. And it is an asinine process. And I'm not talking about anything that either the realtor or the loan officer does. It's the regulatory process, it's the data collection process, right? How many of us have been one week before settlement and then you get the frantic call that the loan's not gonna go through because the $60,000 in income was actually 40 base and 20 in commission? Well, page six of the bank statement that had nothing on it was The, the backside. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> right? It is a horrible process. 
Fannie Mae's goal, the dude who runs single-family lending, said, Leo, we're going to get it down to 10 days. That is their mantra. And this is coming out of post-crisis. We're trying to fix the broken stuff. Mm -hmm. So does everyone know about a thing called day one certainty? So day one certainty is not something that most people know about, but it's, it's a process to send loans to Fannie Mae. And they've, what they've built is APIs that through technology, they validate income, assets, and employment. And this is not going back to the go-go days of Fog Amir in 2008. So no NINA loans? No like NINA. No income, this no is, assets, hey, you authenticate your Bank of America statements, okay. log in and password, they get 18 months, go back. And oh, by the way, if there's that erratic deposit, it'll flag it and point it out. Right? You go to paychecks or ADP, which cover 92% of all income proce payroll processing, and they get all your pay stubs. And you do your Fidelity, your Charles Schwab, and you do your... Um, Asset verification. Mm -hmm. And that's how Rocket Mortgage was built. Rocket Mortgage was launched on top of that API. And that is a real seven-minute DU underwrited loan. I would bet that almost every single person in this room would not qualify because we're all special in 1099 and LLCs and all complicated. But the vast majority of Americans that have a W-2 job, dual income, just W-2s and employment and a couple bank statements, it, it's that simple. So this is technology disrupting the mortgage origination process. Rather than a person having to go collect the data, a person is filling out an application, which is then auth authorizing them, if you will, authorizing Fannie Mae, authorizing whoever it is. They're doing that the, loan the application. paper application, it was faxing stuff, right? How many right. of you still had to fax something to a bank a couple months ago, weeks ago? Yeah. So... As so they pull your tax returns. They, they pull your bank statements. I, you're yeah. you're your authenticating and giving them that ability. tax returns can get authenticated through the IRS and pulled directly. And oh, by the way, the lenders that use this API are now being waived of their rep and warrants requirement. So Fannie can't come and make them buy this buy loan back for one of these four things if they use the API, which is a huge incentive to the lender. Okay, so you're telling us, you guys hearing right? this did, for a second? Did everybody understand that? So Leo's the, telling the, you what the back end looks like, right? So the front end companies that we're familiar with are like Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage. And sometimes Mellow we heard Rocket Home. Mortgage and we went, initially anyway, I did. I was like, ah, oh, that's just a gimmick, right? So let's, let's talk about that. But, but they didn't actually say, well, no, it's, you know, they, they didn't come to the real estate population and say, well, it's not a gimmick. We're not just handing out stated income loans. We now have new technology but on see, the backside. That that was, that's not what they intended to do with it. Interesting. So Rocket Mortgage was launched in February at a Super Bowl. And actually, they got a whole bunch of backlash the next day in the media. They actually were building a tool to protect their servicing portfolio from refinances. So they just wanted an app, if you had a Quicken loan, where you could quickly say, oh, I can refinance, rates have dropped, I have this much equity. They did $7 billion in the first 11 months of that year. If they were a standalone mortgage company, that year they would have been 30 in the country. And to their surprise, 80% was purchase business. And 66% of those were first-time homebuyers. They asked J.D. Power to do a separate survey, because I don't know if you guys know, Quicken wins every year for like the last eight years. Rocket Mortgage smoked Quicken. And the smoked their own company. Yes. And the reason was because the consumer said it was, had less friction. It was less embarrassing. Right? When you pulled my credit, it's like, ooh, what happened in 2008? It's like, the world ended, asshole. Why are you asking me? Like... <laughs> I, of course I didn't make payments back then. No one did. <laughs> and it gamifies everything. It's like, hey, let's get your credit up by 13 points. Let's do this. Come back. And you can gamify the process. And, and it's not this embarrassing 
Like you have to walk through the bank and let this person judge you. It's like, why do you, why do you get to judge me? Nothing else in life is like that. Everything else I can do online or through an app. And most people, I think it was something like 80 or 90%, actually had a human interaction during the process. It was mostly on chat. Right? If you have sold a house to a millennial and you called them, they sent you to voicemail and text you back, what's up? <laughs> right? When I really focused on, on, on real estate sales, I, I would, part of the script was, hey, how do you want me to communicate with you? Right? If you call someone who wants to be texted, you're annoying. If you text somebody who wants to be called, you're still annoying. Right? It's just, how do you want to be interacted with? Mm -hmm. And that's how you experience good customer interaction. So most good products and companies, how, do you want to chat? Let's chat. Do you want to call me? Let's call me. Like Zappos is probably one of the best examples, right? Based here. You, you can interact with Zappos however you feel like makes you happy. Who, if you don't mind me asking, who owns that technology? So like Rocket Mortgage, Quicken Loans is using it. They're not the only ones though, right? No, or no, there's no. similar so, so, technologies so, now. Yeah, being... Fannie Mae has a, a process that you build to. Okay. Like an open API of some yeah. sort. So like, and I mean, so Rocket Mortgage built their own and they were first to market and they were crushing it. Okay. Then uh, Loan Depot followed with Mellow Home. Okay. Then there's a, a company in Silicon Valley called Blend that has raised $160 million. Tim Myopoulos, the former CEO of, of um, Fannie Mae, just got hired as our president. <laughs> and what they're saying is not everyone has that kind of money. Mm -hmm. So they're actually building an API layer okay. that can plug into any lender. So. If you've used a Wells Fargo, movement mortgage, digital mortgage, you're actually using Blend. And so my humble opinion is within 20, 18 to 24 months, lenders that don't have a digital option, right? you don't have to go full digital, but you want to be able to give the consumer the option. It's, it's just like today if you had a listing and you don't have the option to market it on social, that could hurt you. Right? So it's, I think it's giving the consumer the way they want to be treated and how they want to interact with you is the key to everything. Yeah, so what I'm hearing in all this kind of goes back to the statement I made earlier. Like, I feel like sometimes as real estate agents, we're stuck in this in-between and we have to choose. But you're saying, what I'm hearing you say all along is the options have to be there. The consumer is going to get to make the choice. And it kind of goes back to the iBuyer model as well, if we can talk about that for a minute, yeah. right? I want to get your take on the iBuyer model. But, uh, you know, the reason the iBuyer model exists today is it's pain in the ass to sell a house. And, and more right. importantly, it's certainty. The we buy ugly houses has always worked, typically in the distress situation, right? Because if, if you have an eminent foreclosure date or you're going through a divorce or your house is gross and you, it has, brings shame to let people in, that's a real reason why people sell their houses at a significant discount. And you can just push an app and buy my house. There's a convenience fee. And again, it, it could be fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000 off retail. Depending on the purchase price, that could be a nominal fee or a serious fee. And depending on the person's financial situation, that's a big difference, right? And I think the most attractive thing of the iBuyer, and if you just watch the Zillow commercials or the open door stuff, it's a guarantee, right? It's why list your house with me or I'll buy it in 90 days. The whole shtick works because what you're doing to the seller is giving them certainty. Mm -hmm. And selling your home is a giant pain in the ass. Forget the process. Just think of the emotional part of it. It's like, hey, I got to pull my kids out of school. We got to do we sell the furniture? Do we get new furniture? Like the whole process is horrifying. Yeah. So anything that removes a lot of the risk, right? Like the like I can only count like on one hand the amount of times a transaction fell apart two days before closing, but it was horrifying for the seller, the buyer. If it was owner occupied and they've already moved out, or the buyer's already given notice on their lease, 
I mean, that is not a situation we want to put people in. Yeah, and I think the thing that I would say as a real estate agent who lives in the backyard of the iBuyer model and you're is... You're in ground zero. Yeah, we're at ground zero, right? Phoenix, Arizona, I think offer pad and open door have been operating in our market for somewhere in the ballpark of six to seven years, if my numbers are correct on that. Correct me if anybody knows different. Uh, but for those of you out there that are going, the iBuyer model is new to my market or the iBuyer model is not in my market. And, and the initial reaction I think that goes on in these markets is... The iBuyer model is bad, right? And so everybody goes to wanting to say they're bad, they're out to harm the consumer. But at the end of the day, what we have to realize as agents is that they're providing certainty and they're providing another option. And we can't really fight the fact that a new option exists. Well, now, I, I'm I not saying that we, we have to, to give up, but we, we have yeah. to be okay that that model's there. Then we have to react. The comparison is in selling your car. You can sell your car yourself and you got to clean it up, maybe get some body work done to it, advertise it, let strangers come take it out for a ride. You can take it to the dealership and trade it and get robbed the most. <laughs> or maybe you drive to CarMax for 45 minutes and go to the big box and you, know, you end up with competitive bids. I don't think anyone's good or bad. Right. Right? There's convenience in each one. There's a lot more convenience to not having to do anything, just turn in your title. There's a little less convenience to drive to a second place. You have to pay off that lien and then you have to bring the check back. Or, or you could sell at retail, right? Yeah. So I just, there hasn't been an alternative model. And where, where verticalization will happen, because I, I think people forget the size of our entire ecosystem. So five and a half million transactions, roughly. And that is a, not a variable number. You know, as, as, as Zillow and Trulia and everybody grew, one of the things that always fascinated me is every year there was more impressions. Right, it's like, now 180 million eyeballs. <laughs> well, that didn't change the transactional volume. Right, that was real estate porn. I look at $20 million homes in Malibu. Some poor asshole is paying for my impression. I'm not going to buy one. I live in D.C. The more leads that were created, the, the less the value of that actual lead. Mm -hmm. So as that's shifting, you have to see where it all goes. And so as leads have proliferated, I think these companies are going to pivot to the actual transaction. And in five and a half million transactions, there's $300 billion worth of fees. Do you guys know that? $80 billion were paid to the people in this room. Real estate brokerages collected $80 billion out of the $300 billion pie. The rest is title and mortgage. Where the digital mortgage is coming, again, this is not a secret. Like, I go and hang out at Fannie's Innovation Lab and ask, who is writing to your API right now? And they tell me, because it's open information. Yeah. Guess who it is? It's Zillow. It's Redfin. It's Open Door, who are building digital mortgage products. They didn't tell me any bank names. They're, Quicken was way ahead of everybody, and Mallow came in second. But the ones who are really focused on it are those companies. Because if... They can drive the commission further down. I mean, Eric Wu on stage, I'm not saying anything derogatory. This is all stuff you can Google. Eric Wu, the CEO of Open Door, said, my goal is to drive the commission to zero. So the only way you can make an economic profit is if you have profit centers around the transaction. Right? Is that the mortgage? Is that the title? Is that the arbitrage between the buy and the sell? So I would just tell everybody, pay attention, especially in your market. Will iBuyers significantly take a chunk of my market? I highly doubt it because my average price point and the, the, the age of the inventory. I buyers like markets like yours or Vegas where the homes are not that old. Yep. You know, you, you can algorithmically 
predict. We got some cookie cutter homes in Phoenix. Exactly. Like if you have a hundred year old row house, it could be $160,000. And if the foundation is cracked, it goes to $200,000. That's not appealing to them. So I don't think they will take 25% of that market, but they will take 25% of markets like yours. They're already approaching that. Yeah. In Phoenix, Arizona, of the listed inventory, 25 to 35% of all sellers who have a house for sale spoke to an iBuyer. Wait, say that number one more time. You guys should write that one down. 25 to 35% of active inventory sellers spoke to an iBuyer. So not did business with one, but interacted with one so, prior to so, doing so, a transaction. So, I mean, like I invite you guys to listen to Rich Barton's earnings calls every quarter. Because he is telling you exactly what their plan is. It's not like this nefarious, like it's, it's running a publicly traded company. He tells us exactly what he's doing. He said he wants to ramp up to buy 5,000 homes per month within five years. The stat he shared that I listened to is our conversion ratio is going to be 3% of the offers we, we offer on. 97% of them will be a referral. I mean, he, on the earnings call, said we are going to start participating in the transaction because he's no longer going to sell you an impression of one of 180 million, right? It's this human it's being lead. raised, your raised hand their hand and said, make me an offer. And, you know, 288,000 is not interesting, but the three and a quarter on the MLS is. Well, I want you to meet Fred, who's my trusted partner, who sold 600 homes in the Phoenix area, and he's a badass. Okay. Zillow is a trusted brand to the consumer. Hmm. So that's not going to stop. So, again, I'm, I'm not big on social. I, I still don't have a Facebook account. But if I was selling homes, I, I would have to do it. it it's not a, it, it, I'm not asking you to tell me how you feel about it because it really doesn't matter. It's how do you get eyeballs. It's the billboard of today. And where are the eyeballs going is what matters. So we brought Lee out here to depress you a little bit. Um, <laughs> No, I, I think this message needs to be heard. Do you guys, do you agree with that? Like, yeah. We need to know that this stuff's going on. Now, how you react to it and what you choose to do and how much it affects your market and how much it shows up in your business and what it does to your business in the next 12 months versus the next 36 versus the next five years, that's going to be different for every single one of us. But if we continue to just go about our life sort of with tunnel vision down, thinking that not much has changed, and don't know about all the money that's in the real estate tech space. Don't know about what these publicly traded companies are saying their goals are, their stated goals are, right, to their investors on buying homes. If we don't know that Open Door's out there saying we want to drive the commission down to zero, then we're going to look up. I don't know what that time frame is. We're going to look up and say, what the hell just happened? What it translates to is Open Door, when Zillow came into the space, two weeks ago announced that they are now going to partner and send referrals to agents because they want to compete for that same revenue that Zillow is going to create. So that is an opportunity. That's like an REO account or, you know, a yeah. corporate institution that sends you ready, will enable sellers. And, and when some people look at the Zillow model or that model and say, well, they're going to take 35%. Well, if you know your numbers, you can make a financial decision if that's a good bet or not. And again, it, it all goes to paying attention to me. The, the, the headline that should have made the entire industry freak out was last November. Tell so, us more about that. Do you guys remember that Realtor.com bought a company called OpCity? There was like two comments on that Inman article. Then that blew me away because other ones have like 46 and it gets all heated. Yep. Does everybody know about OpCity? So OpCity was started by a guy named Ben Rubenstein, who's a pretty smart guy. 
he started another little company called Yodel and sold it for $350 million a year before he started OpCity. Took a vacation, decided he wanted to start something else. He goes, oh, that, that looks broken. Let me go do that. Put my money over here. And so he had a buddy with a real estate company, and he just read some stats. Do you know what percentage of Zillow leads were called last year one time? 54% were called zero times. Do you realize that's a shitty customer experience? <laughs> we're, we are the ones doing this to ourselves. If a homeowner, a prospect says, I want to know about 123 Main Street, and it's your listing, you don't respond. You give Ben the option to go, hmm. So Ben bought a brokerage and then said, I have a lot of money. And he bought all the leads. Last year, he was the biggest buyer of all internet leads in this country. He built a call center in Austin. Do you know what his average connect time is from the second the lead is created to the time he gets somebody on the phone? Four seconds. Wow. And then he qualifies them. And the way he partners is at the brokerage level. And he's got data. And so he's got a contract with a brokerage with 1,500 agents. And you have a lead in the Woodlands in Houston. And it says, ooh, Fred sold 18 homes in the Woodlands at this price point in the last six months. He live calls Fred, connects him to the buyer, and the buyer's ready to go to see the house at 2 p.m. Is that a good customer experience? Because when Fred shows up, he actually knows what the hell he's talking about. Right? He closes at five times higher average than the average internet. Wow. And so Realtor.com paid him $210 million for his company. And they're now 600 people. And did you guys see the Inman article about two weeks ago that they're flipping the entire business model to Op City? And again, I'm, I'm not actually, if you forget and stop having the emotional reaction, Correct. And whose, whose fault was that? We didn't, we didn't call people back. So yeah. if we continue to not is. do stuff, smart money is going to go, that's broken. I'm going to go do it. Yep. So, Leo, I've got a bunch of questions. I'm sure some of you guys do. Can I ask a favor? Uh, I know Remind's got a booth out here. You guys were one of our paying sponsors. We appreciate you being here and helping make this happen. Uh, if you have a few minutes, would you mind hanging around Absolutely. and meeting some folks? For those yeah. of you that have Remind in your market, I think Leo's a good guy But if guy you have Instagram, to. find me on Instagram and message. I spend a lot of time on planes, and people are surprised how responsive I am. That's awesome. Let me ask you, with one minute left, man, give us some tangible things that we can be doing as real estate agents to better arm ourselves with information yeah. or some tangible steps we can take to just better prepare for what's coming at us. So I, I've always said this, and I've, for 20 years, I said, you know, become an expert at something. Okay. I mean, if, if, if you are selling a product, so let's say you wanted to sell something that ends up at Walmart, it's going to be hard to outproduce a Chinese manufacturing company with Walmart's distribution. Right? If you, so I was always focused on multi-transactional customers. So mm. pre-downturn, I did reload for the World Bank, um, a first-time homebuyer, um, a Latino-focused organization where I taught their first-time homebuyer seminars and uh, a couple companies. In the crisis, I figured out how to service banks. Yep. Post-crisis, I serviced hedge funds and builders. I delivered them inventory and then sold it on the back end. These guys were at my wedding and went skiing with me. You could not offer them a half a point discount and take my business, Because right? I was adding tremendous value. When we were servicing developers, I was helping them select colors and granite type. And my execution mattered. If I said I was going to sell for 400000 they were grading me 
to see with, I was within one, two, three, four, five, six percent variance. And so when you insert that much value, I don't care what happens in the market. And that could be that you're the super local expert at X. Yeah. Right? And in, in, we were talking about this in your office. If you're in an iBuyer market where 25% of the sellers are going to go that direction, right? It's like, hey, here's my listing agreement. But if you choose to go that for a flat fee of X, I will help review these transactions for you and give you my unbiased opinion because I don't have a dog in the fight, right? right? Become that, that expert who, so I, my, I'll close with this. I've, I've said this before when I give talks. A good real estate agent, that's the caveat, is a Sherpa. And a Sherpa are the people that live in the base of the Himalayas and help you climb Mount Everest. Because in today's technology world, I can go onto YouTube and watch any video on how to get in shape for the climb, what shit to buy, what packs, what gear, all that stuff. But when I get to the base of the Himalaya, I should probably not do that by myself. I wanna hire the local expert who's gonna take all this data and put it on his back and help me decipher it. Because that's what an expert does. It's the interpretation of the data. If you can't intelligibly answer, what do you do? I mean, I, I can find all this stuff on Zillow. If you don't have legit value, you go get a job because you're not gonna survive the next five years. And I mean that with empathy and love because that's not fair to your family. This is a hard-ass business to live in. You can get a job in this economy that pays more if you're not gonna do the work to add value to someone's life. Yeah, be the expert. That's awesome. All right, well, if you need a little more love, we'll bring Cody back up in a minute to love on you. But in the meantime, I think Kevin or Cody are gonna come up and send us to break. Why don't you give Leo a round of applause, guys? That's it for today's show. Do me a favor if you enjoy this, go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening at, leave us a review, share this episode with your friends, and for more great content, check us out in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash next level agents. That's facebook.com forward slash groups next level agents. See you soon.